You're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. Stand by for this just in the latest in healthcare innovation and technology trends with your HIT advisor, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these half hour segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. Before we dive into my special guest today, I want to take a moment to let everyone know that we'll be broadcasting the This Just In radio show again live from the HIMSS annual conference next March in Las Vegas. Many more details to come, but I hope everyone is planning on attending. We'll have another great slate of CEO, CIO, leading care providers, industry thought leaders, and certainly policymakers joining the show. Um, But for this episode, my 110th episode, we have a special guest, Lily Gil-Valletta, a CEO and co-founder of CN Plus. Welcome to the show, Lily. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to uh, it's great to have you on air, and um, we were connected by a, a great guy, a mutual friend, Olivier Ullier, um, that you met uh, through the World Economic Forum. Is that correct? That is correct. We are both members of that great community, and uh, we're both part of an impact lab where we uh, brought some new thinking, new technologies that hopefully can make the world a better place. So it was a, it was a great forum. Excellent. And where was that form? I know you, they, you guys do a lot of work around the world, but this one was where exactly? Well, the, this impact forum was actually in New York City. Uh, there were 14 people from all over the country that were selected by the World Economic Forum, um, all of us uh, young global leaders uh, that are working on different projects, initiatives, or ways to use technology to make um uh, uh, the world a better place, have impact, uh, maybe help the world of healthcare or social injustice. And uh, that's what brought us together. It was, a, it was a great opportunity, a great forum with amazing people that now have challenged me to think in bigger and better ways. That's excellent. I love the work and um, I love a lot of the things that come out of the economic forum. So fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about you. Where were you born, raised, college, all that good stuff? Yeah, so um, I have a, an exciting um, story. I come from, I'm originally from Colombia, and I came to the U.S. at the age of 17 with a student visa, a suitcase, a pocket translator, and I'm dating myself with that one, uh, <laughs> without speaking a word of English, um, at the age of 17 by myself. Um, I was actually uh, in the great state of Texas to so talk about a first American experience where um, I was first enrolled in an English as a second language program in a small uh, private Christian school. I guess that's where my parents felt safe that this girl could go. Um, and, and, and that's where I, I started, you know, learning and wanted to always be in the world of business. So I was a finance major. Uh, the school that I went to is called Southwestern Adventist University. And after that, um, I ended up moving to Florida with my first uh, official job being in a in an exciting place in celebration, which is where uh, the town right next to the parks in Walt Disney. Uh, and I guess that's where my love for healthcare started because I was part of that 
big project of building celebration health uh, which was done in partnership with florida hospital and i was part of that initiative and i was in awe to see how patient experience can be designed at the time i mean this is in the 90s and it was already wireless and things like that so ahead of its time mm -hmm. uh, that just made me fall in love with what it means to touch people um, at that critical moment when they need a lot of help and a lot of information so that was my first real job, and after that, I ended up at J and J and Johnson and Johnson um, in 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 New Brunswick. I moved to New Jersey from sunny Florida, and uh, the rest is history. I guess I I went steal the thunder from the rest of our interview, but that's kind of <laughs> how it all started. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. Now you really truly have the American dream, and I don't come across that a lot. I mean, there's different components and pieces that people have, but you really did. You know, you came from Colombia with basically a suitcase and, and a pocket translator and just went at it. And that's just uh, congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I let me underscore that because it's just uh, it validates once again how incredible this country is when you work really hard, when you persevere, when you give it your all and and put the work uh, into whatever you want to accomplish. It is doable. And I think sometimes we take it for granted. Um, so I am, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to be here and hopefully contribute and bring new thinking and new solutions so that we can continue to thrive as a country and, and bring solutions, not just to our own, but the rest of the world. So definitely, I believe strongly that the American dream is real, as real as, as it has ever been. And I hope, uh, we just keep that in mind and in perspective because it's, it's a great place to be. I agree completely. My, um, I'm dating myself a little bit, but my, uh, my grandmother came over as an immigrant and built her entire life from scratch, from farming and, and then been to, into nursing and, and being an entrepreneur and a, and a business lady really from the bootstraps. And, but then even that, but also even mm -hmm. today, you know, we're looking at, um, my wife and I take care of an orphanage over in Cambodia and we sponsor some children and one of those children, is about to turn 18. You can't adopt from Cambodia because of different laws that exist. But um, but when they turn 18, um, we're going to bring our child over here, and uh, we expect uh, to hopefully, and uh, let him live the American dream of, of working very hard. I you know I you're on you're you've come on to a show that I think all my guests have kind of worked from scratch. Not all the American story in that respect from like your background, but all are you know for the most part all CEOs grinding it out on a daily basis, 80 hour, 100 hour week, mm -hmm. doing whatever it takes mm -hmm. to be successful. And I hopefully my my uh, my foster son will be able to have that same experience here in America. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think uh, um, back to the point you just made, you know, entrepreneurship sometimes gets celebritize, right? We're in the era of <laughs> right. Shark Tank and, okay. and Mark Zuckerberg. And, you know, you want to be the next Snapchat or something like that. But um, yes, those are all incredible stories, but it takes a lot of work. And we often celebrate the end of the journey and forget yep. that there is a journey. Um, so thank you so much for allowing <laughs> us to share more about the real, uh, you know, side of that journey, because um, at the end of the day, and I couldn't be doing what I do today if I wasn't passionate about it, it's much bigger than building a multi-million dollar empire and the ambition of that, but it's, it's impact because, uh, you know, there's no amount of money that is going to give you the fulfillment of satisfaction and joy. But when you are achieving what you feel is your purpose and mission, 
um, it, it allows you to pull the all-nighters more yeah. than <laughs> more than you should maybe uh, to keep it going for sure. So yeah, great perspective. And I'm so glad you were giving us a forum here to share a little bit more. Sure. So tell us about your background as a former corporate executive and entrepreneur and then now mm -hmm. turned entrepreneur. So tell us about that. Yes. Yes. So um, I was a, a Johnson & Johnson for 10 years. And it was an incredible place to be. I really give all the credit to my um, professional kind of acumen and structural ways of working and process-driven ways to the schooling that J&J gave me. Mm -hmm. So at J&J, I was part of a leadership development program that very quickly prepared me to become an executive at a really young age. Uh, when I left J&J, uh, I was... Um, uh, director of global marketing services in the pharmaceutical sector, which uh, was a big job. And I had a pulse on the pipeline of, you know, healthcare solutions that we had in the horizon at the time and some of the challenges and exciting opportunities in the industry at the time. And being the immigrant from Colombia and, and the Latina, right, mm -hmm. I adopted that uh, identity when I came to the U.S., I realized that there was an opportunity to better understand growth markets. Uh, so here we are many times in the pharma sector looking out at the next 10 or 12 or 15 years when you're hoping to launch this next blockbuster solution. Um, but in those 10 or 15 years, the market is like changing right before our eyes. The demographic composition of the patients we're looking to serve. And I got curious. I started asking the question. I was like, wait, are we looking at the unique unmet needs of diverse patients and those that are disproportionately affected by the diseases that we're trying to solve. And um, it wasn't an intentional miss. It was just that the question hadn't been asked. So at my corporate job at the time, I took it upon myself to uh, create a task force to develop the business case and put in dollars and cents and in numbers how big this opportunity was and what it meant to be inclusive of all patients as we're thinking about go-to-market strategies. So inside J&J, &J, I call myself an intrapreneur because to create mm -hmm. things sure. that are new, to bring to life a vision, you don't have to just kind of quit your job and go off and do the entrepreneurship thing. It starts today and whatever you're at with the ability to create, we all have that capability. So that's what I did. I created a Hispanic employee resource group that to this day has thousands of members and it's been in existence for 16 years. I was just at J&J &J for the anniversary mm. last month. Um, but uh, that is what inspired me to realize that if J&J &J was one company that was intrigued, curious, and had the need to better understand growth markets and prove, uh, kind of like future-proof plans, that there must be a need also by other leaders especially in the healthcare sector, that need to understand this new eminent reality of, of shifting demographics and a fast-approaching majority-minority nation. So that's what, that was my muse to uh, leave my job, which was absolutely crazy. People thought I was insane leaving such an incredible company. Right. Uh, in 2008, when the financial world is collapsing and everyone is hanging on to their jobs, I was like leaving at that time. Uh, because I wanted to build a company I wish I could have found to hire as a corporate executive that could help me crack the code in understanding growth markets 
and turn diversity into a comp competitive advantage for innovation, growth, and ultimately serve the needs of all people and all patients that we want to touch. So that's kind of like the backstory that took me from corporate life into sure. opening and running my own business today. So you mentioned, and that's fascinating. I know it leads you right into what you're doing now, which is just terrific. So you mentioned the word, you know, cultural and, and the term cultural intelligence. Um, so tell us about mm -hmm. that and then also tell us why it's so important. Yeah, so um, I, I, as I was doing some of this work back in my corporate life, um, crunching the numbers, um, kind of creating financial models to see what the ROI was of these important fast-growing segments, I realized, wait a second, we all talk about, as leaders, um, needing to, you know, obviously you need to have um, IQ and EQ, right, to be able to make proper decisions and be a complete leader, et cetera. But in crunching those numbers, it just kind of hit me with the facts, the, the, the reality of understanding the dimension and the value that culture brings into business. And I just said, oh, my gosh, this is like acquiring cultural intelligence, um, which is now I've, I've given it a definition, which I describe it as the ability to be aware of, understand, and apply cultural competence into everyday decisions. And um, that's exactly what it is, because many of us are aware of the fact that there are shifting demographics and, you know, that there are things that are different across segments, maybe. Um, but that doesn't deliver value, innovation, growth, or ROI, unless you take it to the path of, okay, now let me understand it, which is where kind of getting the numbers and doing the work comes into play. Yeah. And now that I have the numbers, let me apply it. That is where the magic happens. So that's what I've now defined as cultural intelligence, which I strongly believe that any leader, and this is not an American thing, this uh -huh. is a global marketplace thing, any leader that wants to successfully achieve its full potential for growth and innovation and ROI ultimately has to include cultural intelligence because we're an interconnected, yes. diverse marketplace, period. Um, and it's not one size fits all. We know that. <laughs> so gotta gotta go after understanding, applying to to get the value on the other end. Yeah, and when I came across this, when Olivier sent it along, I was fascinated. And I and we are a global society. No matter what someone says or thinks, or it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We are a global society, and you have to begin to think like this. You have to deploy these types of strategies and tactics to to succeed and achieve your own goals. So, correct. Tell us, I guess, because you also during some of the materials that I was reading, you mentioned this term, majority minority, and I and at a, at a service level. I understand it, but but dive into it because I think we as a culture, A, I want to be educated more and I certainly want my audience to, to understand more because this is significant and, and diving into this will certainly mm -hmm. involve us. So tell us mm -hmm. mm -hmm. as you define it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's funny how we use terms in, in whether it is in the mainstream media or in like economic or census reports that uh, I, I know they're going to have to evolve because they're in a way a contradiction. So the term minority, 
Uh, the term minority today really is uh, kind of like a general term that labels the grouping of everyone that is non-white, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, all other, now you have mixed race, etc. Um, so we're used to speaking of them as minority, which ironically the term uh, makes it small mm -hmm. because it sounds like it's minor, like it's a niche. But when you crunch the numbers and when you look at census projections for the overall population of America in general, uh, today we're about at a 60-40, which means 40% of Americans are non-Hispanic white, which means they're diverse. But if you look at what that projection is by the year 2020, 2030, 2040, that portion of the population is the one that is driving all of the growth in population in America which means that the non-diverse portion is actually shrinking. Mm -hmm. And there is this pivotal point, depending on which report you're reading, some of it, some reports put it at 2035, which by the way, that's not that far out if you think about it. Right. By the year 2035, we will hit the majority minority status, which means more than 50% of the American population will be made up of diverse segments. Um, so that's what it means when I say that we're a fast approaching majority minority. I'm confident that the terms are going to have to evolve with the times because it makes no sense. Um, some people call it the general market today, the segment that is non-diverse. But if you think about it in cities like LA or New York for that matter, the general market is already diverse. So the term is flawed by definition. So there is not just the understanding of the numbers for everyone that is listening, by the way, if I'm confusing mm -hmm. you, here's the easy number to remember. 100% of population growth in America is driven by diverse segments, period. Which means, as any economist or any financial expert will tell you, you want to bet on growth. You want to anticipate growth trends. You want to future-proof your decisions so that you are um, ahead of what is coming or needed. Right. And that means the place to bet on and better understand and invest in are growth markets, which are those diverse segments that are driving 100% of the growth. <laughs> so that's kind of how um, it, it's a big reality. It's a very simple chart, by the way, that anyone can find if you Google it because it senses data, but often is left out of boardrooms or right. or meetings where decisions are being made and we keep putting most of our resources in a shrinking market um so that's what that's what yeah. i mean by a fast approaching majority minority so how can pharma healthcare, you know marketing evolve to mm -hmm. these realities of a majority minority market you know i think um ironically pharma um in the way it's evolving um, it is already ready or mm -hmm. prime to embrace what it means to be relevant for a majority minority. They just, they just don't know it yet. Here's why. Everyone these days is obsessed with uh, patient-centric models, patient-centric experience, patient-centered solutions. Uh, you know, there's personalized medicine on the clinical side. So if we have already agreed as an industry that personalization is what it's needed for us to get better solutions and therefore better outcomes, it calls for the need for us to understand the person at the center mm -hmm. in better, deeper, 
and, and more relevant ways. So if I am designing a patient-centric blank, whatever that is, whether you're a payer or a provider or a healthcare pharma company, it, if the patient makeup looks the way I was just describing, highly diverse, yep. driven by African-American, Hispanics that unfortunately are disproportionately affected by chronic disease as well, you cannot help it but to get to the center of that patient's unique culture, lifestyle, food choices, work choices, access, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the industry already philosophically is going into this path of personalization, but now the leap that it needs to take is really getting deep into who is that person at the center that I'm going to be serving today, five years, 10 years from now, so that you can be relevant in the way those solutions, experiences, or interventions are designed so that we're not generalizing for the portion that is actually shrinking and maybe will not be the majority of your market when you launch, let's say, for a future compound. So um, they're there philosophically. Now we just need to do the work and dive deeper into understanding the needs and insights behind um, each of those segments. Sure. So why aren't more companies activating cultural intelligence type strategies in their plans and their business? It's just a lack of knowledge, wisdom. What mm -hmm. is it? Mm -hmm. My goodness, I wish I had the magic answer to that question. Um, to this day, you know, I started doing this work inside J&J &J as my almost like the cultural intelligence incubator, right? And, and it was done in 2008. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, and as recent as this week, I was in a room with executives of a top five pharma company um, with a group that did not realize that by the year 2035, we're going to be a majority minority. Yeah. So a lot of it is awareness. Yep. A lot of it is um, peeling the onion of the numbers, going one layer deeper from um, incidence rates or scripts or diagnosis numbers to understanding, well, who is it that is underneath that big number? Um, and, and having the big aha moment and realization that it, it will be impossible, and I hate to bring it back to dollars and cents, but these are publicly traded companies that at the end of the day make investment decisions based on return on investment. Um, and they have fiduciary you know, responsibilities. So how can you meet your numbers without realizing that California today, California today is 63% diverse. Wow. It's impossible for you to hit your numbers. Yeah. Now, um, I think it's, again, a matter of shifting the narrative and retelling the story under the context of growth and demographic concentration and patient, you know, incidents and, and, and specific, you know, diagnosis <laughs> at the key markets that, that will have the veil come off from a lot of these executives. I would like to assume that it is an innocent miss. I don't think it's a deliberate right. discrimination of any sort. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it is just challenging the way we're looking at our, our market plans um, 
by the way, this also applies to agencies, uh, you know, health agencies or providers, because mm-hmm. you have to be ready to embrace and serve the needs of current and future patients. Otherwise, cost of healthcare is not going to get any better or outcomes are not going to get any better. And this notion of value-based, you know, or uh, medicine or, or, or performance-based reimbursement is actually going to get worse unless we acknowledge right. who are the patients yeah. and what are their unique needs. So it's going to take some time, but I'm excited that at least I get to do some of this work um, a little bit evangelistic in nature, going from company to company, showing them in numbers uh, a new framework uh, of reference as they're thinking about their business and decisions. Yeah, and we're actually almost at time, and I want to get to one last question, but I will make the commitment mm-hmm. to you. A, I'm going to help you on the awareness because I know our industry deserves it. We need it, certainly in healthcare, and we even talked about, you know, off air, we talked about some of the social. Um, integrations that we could do as well, because this is relevant far outside of just what we're doing in the business, uh, in, in the healthcare mm-hmm. side, the entrepreneurial side. We need this in some of our societal conversations and integrations that we're 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 doing, and we also desperately need across the country. So, certainly, I'm going to help you with the awareness, um, and also want to have you back on air to cover more ground. But my um my final question, and again, we'll always I'll have you back on air here um, early next year, I think. But um, but uh, and I ask this of, of all my guests, it's always a great to have a great response and it's actually become its own segment in itself. But what is your favorite place to get or be inspired, Lily? Uh, you know, it's, it's always when I'm back home in mm-hmm. Colombia. Um, I never, I guess this is what happens. You take for granted the, 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 the beauty that surrounds you in nature. You know, we have the Andes, that go right through the country. Mm-hmm. And these mountains are incredibly big and beautiful and green and lush. And, and it wasn't until I guess I became older and wiser that I realized how grand and beautiful they are. Um, and every time I go back and I look at them, I feel so teeny tiny, but also so inspired to be part of a greater universe and that um, it just puts in perspective everything everything it grounds me because it brings me back home to kind of like where I am from and I'll never forget where I come from and no matter where I go Um, but it also puts in perspective how we are part of a greater universe and and we should live life through that lens Amen. so for anyone anyone that hasn't gone to Colombia yet I encourage you to go Mm -hmm. and um, and see those big giant mountains because it will make you feel really small but in a weird way really big too (laughs) i understand nah thank you very much lily great to have you on the show today and i appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule i know it is um, for joining us and thank you everyone for listening and joining us today and please tune in weekdays at 2 30 p.m eastern 11 30 a.m pacific as always you can track me on twitter at hit advisor and use the hashtag this just in radio so we can respond to your comments from the show In addition, all of my content will be posted on my website at justinbarnes.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week.